10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from Suffolk, this is The Late Show with Libby Isaac. Good evening. It is Tuesday the 2nd of November and tonight is round two of Phonics. You are in for such a treat. I've got back the two essential letters and sounds authors, Katie Press and Tara Dodson, followed by a co-founder of the Phonics programme, Phonics with Robot Reg. Sit back and listen, but also please do join in with us when discussing all things Phonics. Live from Suffolk. This is The Late Show with Libby Isaac on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome. Um, as I said in the introduction, we've got round two of our phonics episode. So get settled in for another fantastic chat of early reading and phonics. We have got the essential letters and sounds authors Tara Dodson and Katie Press to answer your questions and to explore some more ideas um, around phonics in the classroom. Um, please, like last time, and what I think made such a wonderful show and what it helped go so smoothly and so well um, was that you texted in and you really interacted with us with the conversation. Um, I think it helps stand us out as a radio podcast because we are absolutely live. So please do text in, ring in, get involved in the conversation. And if you do ring in or you're feeling brave today and you're feeling like you're going to ring in, um, you'll get a TT mug. Now, this is actually my 11th um, hosting show for the Teachers Talk Radio. And my mug arrived this weekend and honestly made my absolute life, made made my week for sure. So if that is you, if you want to perk up your Tuesday evening, you want to get yourself one of those mugs, then please do ring in. It is absolutely a definite perk of the show. Well, it is for me anyway. Um, not only do we have our Essential Letters and Sounds authors, but also I've got Phonics with Robot Reg. Um, we've got the co-founder, Alex Burnside, to help guide us through her passion of phonics and her programme, which is aimed at equipping preschoolers with phonics and early um, reading skills. So after today, I have done a show or we've looked at phonics and early reading from preschool into primary school. Um, obviously, if you joined me at the time, I um, did a show about how important I think it is reading aloud um, at a secondary school and how we must get all teachers to read aloud in secondary school. And we did that with Ruth Everett. So obviously, the next step is looking at sixth form and then looking at perhaps beyond there as well. So um, I am delighted to have another the evening of phonics with Tara and Katie. Um, we are going to listen to the news and when we come back from listening from the headlines um, this evening um, to sort of prep for the show, plan for the show, um, I went online like we always do and I went onto Twitter and there's some absolutely fantastic current um, chats out there 
about phonics and we're going to be discussing some of them and that all comes from you as teachers so thank you for helping me plan the show but also please do join in texting call in and if you're listening from anywhere in England or anywhere else abroad perhaps this evening please let us know as well we're just going to hear from the news and when we're back we're going to carry on our chat this is teachers talk radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Scotland, more than 226,000 pupils have additional needs and this figure has increased by 70,000 since 2010. The Scotsman newspaper has reported the number of coordinated support plans has more than halved during this time. In England, the number of statutory education health and care plans, similar to CSPs, has risen by almost 90,000 in five years. Pro-union campaign group Scotland and Union said the drop in numbers was deeply worrying. Their chief executive Pamela Nash said, every youngster in Scotland should have the correct support in place to help them reach their full potential. For the most vulnerable, coordinated support plans are essential, giving parents, carers and children legal rights. A Scottish government spokesperson said, all children and young people should receive all the support that they need to reach their potential. Local authorities are responsible for identifying and meeting the additional support needs of their pupils. NHS teams in England are set to visit over 800 schools next week to offer all 12 to 15 year olds a COVID-19 vaccination. The national booking system also opened last week to enable extra vaccinations during half term. In total, more than 600,000 young people have been vaccinated since the end of September. Dr Nikki Kanani, GP and Deputy Lead for the NHS COVID-19 vaccine programme said, it has been great to see that tens of thousands of families have either booked or already been for their child's COVID-19 vaccination during half term. As our children return to classrooms, our efforts to vaccinate children will not stop. Hundreds more schools will be vaccinating this week. It's really important that we continue with the same enthusiasm if we want to ensure children get to stay in the classroom with their fellow pupils this winter. And so I encourage all parents and guardians to head online and the information on vaccinating your child so you can make an informed decision. This has been your daily education news briefing.
Um, thanks so much for our wonderful news team for that as well. Brilliant to get the headlines. Um, so hopefully you've all had an absolutely wonderful half term if you were on half term last week um, and you're back back in the swing of things because obviously it's Tuesday, perhaps you've already had a day at school. Um, I think hopefully this year it feels a little bit more like normality on the run up to Christmas in school. So, you, you know, your primary or maybe getting ready for that nativity or you're, you know, looking at some concerts. We've got mock exams and things. Don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, it just feels a lot more normal. The kind of things feels a bit like a hybrid normal because obviously, um, well, we're definitely back to wearing masks at our school anyway. Um, so a little bit different from last year, but still not quite there yet. But I hope everybody had a lovely half term. Um, so back to phonics. Um, on Twitter last week, I posted um, a question to all secondary school teachers about how much knowledge do you have at early reading or phonics? Um, and thank you so much for those that uh, came back with a response. It's really helpful and really enlightening to me as well. And it helped sort of um, think about some of the themes for this show and what to ask some of the guests that we've got. Um, and a lot of those that responded, basically their answer was no, they don't have a lot of experience when it comes to early reading or phonics. And actually a lot of, if they do have an experience, comes from their own personal experiences with children or with partners or with friends, etc., that are within primary or early reading settings. And some of them um, that responded actually said they're embarrassed to say, or they felt like they had to apologise for that. And I think the reality is, is that it's absolutely not unusual for a secondary school teacher to have that lack of knowledge. Um, we, we also had a really good comment um, from Paul Nicholas, and I hope he doesn't mind me um, saying his name, um, a maths teacher highlighting the parallel question that there's also a lack of knowledge about learning number sense and initial numeracy. And I, I think that's that would be a great show, wouldn't it, if we do the, the, the parallel question to what we're talking about tonight. Um, yeah, as secondary school teachers, it's quite obvious, you know, we've got it drilled into us that we are literacy and numeracy teachers first. So... Do we need more CPD about early reading and phonics? Do we need to be more aware of how it's taught, what that looks like for um, children at that young age? Or is it unnecessary? So we had um, a lot of you saying we absolutely need to have more knowledge on this, that perhaps schools should take more time and put more money towards delivering CPD about it. And perhaps all secondary school teachers should upskill themselves because obviously then the primary to the secondary school transition would be a lot easier and a lot smoother. But we also had the flip side with that um, by somebody called Chris, who is on Twitter. Um, and he, you know, he, he made the point, actually, that even though he finds the topic incredibly interesting he feels that a secondary school teacher would not have the capacity to utilize this knowledge and skill base in their own teaching also that more bespoke work practice is usually connected or carried out by TAs, LSAs and SENCOs within the secondary school setting and he then goes on to say or ask you know does phonics not stop at age six or seven, that's a question mark. And typically a secondary school teacher does not need this knowledge base. So, you know, great, great two sides of the coin there. Um, what is your opinion on it? And if you're listening now, just, just put in the text box, put in the chat and say, do you actually think that as a secondary school teacher, we, we need more CPD, we need more knowledge? Or do you think, no, actually, this, you know, th this is done at um, early years for a reason? Um, you know, 
a secondary school teacher doesn't have the capacity, doesn't have, you know, the, the time and the budget to go through that as well. And it's unnecessary because we've got specialists within a secondary school that perhaps would do that. So it'd be really great to hear your opinion on that if you have an opinion. And it also is something that I'm going to be asking our wonderful guests this evening. Just just interesting, isn't it? It's just interesting to see, you know, what people think about that question too. Um, saying that, there is, and this came through on, on the, the Twitter feed as well, loads of free CPD sessions out there. And it, it blew me away how amazing people are on Twitter. Um, and obviously other things too. But there, you know, there are people like Neil Almond, Christopher Such, and I know that they're fans of the show. And they, you know, they this week they posted or hosted live free events predominantly about early reading for a secondary school setting so you know there is there is an abundance of things out there I think we just need to know where to look at if it's something that we we feel like we need or perhaps you take it to your teaching and learning lead or your SLT etc wherever you work and say look I think this is a really important part of secondary education or if you're a primary school teacher and you don't teach phonics because it, it you know, it doesn't usually go into, you know, um, year five and six, correct me if I'm wrong. And perhaps you don't have that knowledge on it as well. And perhaps you should. So it's a really interesting theme, or at least I thought it was a really interesting theme and something to focus on. Um, the other thing that I'm going to be asking some of the um, guests that we've got on the show this evening and you guys as well um, is through, again, um, my sort of research with the show. Um, there's a bit of phonics confusion regarding an update on the DFE guidance from English hubs um, and that it's been suggested that perhaps um, no games or turn taken in phonics should be happening or it's not necessary because it's not considered systematic enough um, and I think there's an interpretation there but um, that people have um, misinterpreted or they don't understand the interpretation quite rightly so because then it caused a lot of confusion on the Twitter feed as well so it'd be really good to ask our experts um, their interpretation of that new guidance from the DfE um, and as well as that it would be absolutely brilliant from you if you are a phonics teacher or if you're primary trained or you've got some really good knowledge of this, what your interpretation of that guidance is, because I think that would be really interesting and really helpful for those that are listening live and those that would download it at another point. Um, and I really want to unpick phonics and games, and it would be great to get some examples of what these games look like in the classroom, because you know we're all teachers. Um, you know, we've we want to know what that looks like in the classroom. And for me to get really invested in something, um, I like to see the impact then that has on the on children in the classroom. And obviously, then you know you want to get really involved in that as well. So anybody got any absolutely amazing examples of success stories of games where you've taught phonics it'll be really great to hear from you so please 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 call in or text in any of those ideas as well that would be absolutely brilliant so what we're going to do is we're going to hear from our sponsors after we've heard from our sponsors i've got katie and tara on the line already love it and we're gonna go in and we're gonna ask them some questions need support with your phonics teaching did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE validated programs to help you? 
Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Diana Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses? All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Um, excellent. Thanks very much for my wonderful sponsors there. Um, so what I'm going to do, as I said, I'm going to bring in Katie and Tara to the conversation. Uh, they're just going to briefly explain who they are and just really briefly talk about their Essential Letters and Sounds programme. Um, I know this is the second show and obviously if you listened on the first one, you would have heard this, but obviously, hopefully we would have had more live listeners as well this time. So it's always great to hear what they do. Um, hello, Katie. Can you hear me? Hi. Yes, I can. Hello, Tara. Nice to see you. Not to see you. That's uh, if we're on the radio. <laughs> Hello. Nice to speak to you again. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it's lovely that you're back. Did you have a lovely half term? Uh, yes, thank went, you. It went by far too quickly, though. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> It definitely does, doesn't it? And I, 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 I haven't shared this um, on the on the radio because I don't know how how people feel about it. But I actually get two week October half term. Um, I know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's, it's probably the jealous. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely the the best. I don't know the best thing out of all the holidays put together. I think it's very very much needed. So um, um, I've shared it now. So don't, don't hate me. <laughs> Um, so obviously we're going to be talking phonics and early reading and we're going to be talking about your program um can if we start with katie and then we'll flip like we did last time and you can just alternate between you and then you can you can um jump into each other's ones as well because that worked really well um can you just introduce who you are katie really briefly um to the listeners Hi, yes. Hi, everybody. My name is Katie Press, and I'm one of the authors of Essential Letters and Sounds um, with Tara. And um, that's one of my roles. And then I'm also the English lead for the Knowledge Schools Trust Primary Schools, um, which is really exciting. And I've also been working with the English hub that is associated with one of the schools in our trust. Um, So I'm I'm also a literacy specialist for the Knowledge Schools Trust English hub. Brilliant. All all things literacy right there. Um, Tara? (laughs) Uh, hi, I'm Tara Dodson. Uh, as Katie said, we wrote Essential Letters and Sounds together. 
Um, aside from being uh, the ELS author, my other, my, my real job as such is um, I actually am the hub lead for the um, English hub that's at one of the schools within our trust. So when you were speaking about English hubs earlier, I I know I can answer that question. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Um, and I don't think I asked this last time. So how did you two meet to, to collaborate on the programme? Uh, uh, when I when I joined KST to become the English hub lead, um, Katie and I were lucky enough to be put in an office together for all things English. And I think it took about 15 minutes for us to decide that we were the person the other person had been waiting for their whole life in their <laughs> career. Um yeah, so that was we've we've known each other just the time that I've been at KST. But um, I said to Katie earlier today, I asked her a question where I already knew what her answer was going to be, and it's been like that. Writing this, we've sort of been able to. Uh, we've not really ever had to ask each other a question. We've kind of in, it just known that the other one would agree with us on certain things. I think you'll agree, Katie, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's honestly, it's been it's been incredible working with uh, with Tara. And like Tara said, it took us minutes um to get to know each other but realize actually we were really passionate about um phonics and early reading and yeah there's we haven't yet, literally we just can literally finish each other's sentences um mm-hmm. lots of people have said like we're like twins and that we <laughs> um we are attached to each other <laughs> so so if i was to walk into your office we just talk all things literacy and phonics at me is that is that Quite the conversation good. yeah Sounds it. Sounds brilliant. Or us kind of pulling out children's books that we've seen and are desperate to show the other one. I spotted this the other day, and then you know, then end up talking about. Oh, I love that. And just, I think it's so important to have somebody as passionate as you are within something that you're really interested in, because you can just bounce ideas and you know everything off each other constantly, and then your knowledge just grows and expands, and your ideas. And it must be so difficult for people or teachers out there that feel really isolated within certain settings. Um, so, yeah, no, I just I think it's lovely that you found each other and you get to share an office as well. Yes, that was a very good year. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, Katie, could you just talk us through the Essential Letters and Sound programme, please? Yes, of course. So Essential Lesson Sounds um, has been developed as, and written by Tara and I. And it all started when um, I was a literacy, literacy specialist for the hub um, and I was supporting schools who were following the original 2007 Lesson and Sounds guidance provided by the DfE. And um, we really quickly noticed um, whilst doing that work that lots of schools hadn't had proper training for a start. Um, so then there was lots of inconsistencies happening um, in the classroom and also from year group to year group. And so what I did was I worked with the reading leads and the phonics leads to um, try and put in a consistent structure, like lesson structure for, the, for that school, um, consistent language then that everyone was using um, and also um, consistent resources. And so together, all of those things um made started the development of essential lesson sounds and then from there tara and i have developed it into a full uh, ssp um and then we put it into the validation process back in um in june and we were really very proud and very excited to be validated by uh, the dfe in july and then um also to be published by oxford university press is incredible um they are amazing and it's been wonderful to work with all of their team to make sure this is a really high quality phonics program that gets all children reading well quickly. 
Absolutely brilliant. Um, and we discussed quite a lot in the, the program that we had um, when I when I first met and introduced um, you to the TT radio. Um, what makes your program stand out compared to others? So, um, Tara, can you just really quickly highlight that for the, for the live listeners? Because I think that's that's such an important part of it. Oh, a concise version. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think um, our program appears to be quite simple because there's an awful lot of theory and pedagogy and knowledge that's gone and research that's gone before it to make it feel easy for children to learn and feel easy for you to teach. Um, we've thought a lot about cognitive load theory. Uh, we have the strong message of give, give, give. We, we're there to teach the children. We're not there to test them. I think sometimes we fall into that pattern by accident, but teaching phonics using essential lesson sounds, you're giving children the knowledge, you're showing them how to use it, and then you're supporting them until they can do that independently. Um, and there's lots of opportunities for repetition and overlearning for all our different types of learners that we have in our classroom now. And I mean, one of the key kind of principles for us is that this is a program that can be used in any classroom. So that doesn't mean that if your child hasn't gathered all that phonic knowledge that they need by the time they leave year one that it's over for them this is something that's still going to be suitable for children that are in year three and year four year five and year six if they need it it's a program that's accessible to all those children as well absolutely um and just just a question i don't um i don't know if you want to then answer this one katie so does it does it if you think about barriers when it comes to teaching phonics, how can how can the way that you teach phonics or help teachers to teach phonics, how does it really help those disadvantaged students? So that, that's a great question. Um, there's thanks. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there's you know it's about making sure that when we first um, when we're first introducing phonics to our children in school in primary school that we are using um, a really consistent structure to our lessons and we're using a really clear process um, and that we're not making it too complicated and then that we are building on that so like Tara said we're giving the children the knowledge and we're building on that knowledge as we move through the program so we want to ensure that children have a really strong start in phonics and then but if they don't what we've tried to do with essential lesson sounds is we've tried to remove too much of the stuff that can kind of get in the way so we've tried to give, remove a lot of what we call faff and fluff the things that don't actually help children to learn phonics and those sounds and graphemes that they need to know to be able to break the code of the English language um, and so what we try to do is try to make it as Tara said as simple as possible for children we try to think about everything in terms of what we're showing the children what teachers are saying to children that we're not having loads of flowery language in terms of the teacher direction and teacher talk um, but we are showing the children in a really clear formatted way we're not overloading the children we're not you know we're thinking very much about cognitive overload we're not wanting to overwhelm mm. um, and We've, we've seen that it's been really beneficial also in Q-Stage 2 because of the fact that it hasn't had loads of stuff that's not useful. Um, it's actually we're just giving the children what they need. And so actually for those children who are starting off with ELS, for example, in their schools in reception in year one, hopefully they're going to get a really strong start with their mm -hmm. phonics. And then as, if children need it, hope, you know, what we the aim is and we have tried we've thought so carefully about this that this is a program that can be used for children to ensure that any gaps that they might have particularly after also COVID times um that this is a program that can be used for those children because it does it teaches children how to read well absolutely brilliant and I think it's such an important part of teaching isn't it that we we look at the disadvantage and we look at how to close those gaps with anything that we create curriculum wise 
Mm. Definitely. And I think that's exactly it. And I think that's why we, and I, we say it all the time as part of our give, give, give message, but we're, we're teachers, we're not mm. teachers. Um, and so we, we need to be giving this knowledge. We need to be teaching our children, but we need to think about how we go about that teaching and making sure we know what's coming. So that's one thing about having this consistent structure. Everyone knows the expectations. Everyone knows what's coming next. Um, mm. You're not having to explain new rules every single time, for example, but the children just know and they know how to feel successful with it. Yeah. And are you are you still um, are you still sort of not not reviewing it because obviously your program's out there, but are you reviewing it as in if something because it's still quite new, isn't it? If you know if things happen over the next few months, can you go back and can you adapt your program? For example, it's not just completely finished. Yes, yeah. of course, absolutely. And so, yes, <laughs> um, sorry, I wasn't really completely finished. I don't know um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I'm, I think it's pub. The program's published and it's there because we have trialed it. So this isn't that we've written it and we're, we're running with a program. It's been trialed in different settings in different schools. So we've had the benefit of seeing the full academic year of it, plus the trialing that went on before the kind of formalization of essential lesson sounds. So in its current form, um, it's been in school use for a year already. So mm-hmm. we've already got that plus the trialing period before where we kind of, when it was being developed by Katie, like she said at the beginning. Um, so it's, culmination of years of work that uh, what we've then kind of done is publish what was what was written last what was finalized last year as such but you know I think with anything that might be things that are added to the program I would say more than Mm. more than changed because what's in there is I mean when we when we've gone for essential lesson sounds it is the essence it is the what we've distilled it down to the absolute purest essence of what you need to do to teach reading um brilliant I I just picked up on uh, Katie's point you know we we are absolutely teachers as well so you know you 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 listen to the teachers in front of you the ones that are delivering in the classroom and it's it's nice to hear that obviously like any curriculum you would you would adapt and you would um you know put input things if, if it needed to be inputted at certain times as well yeah, I think absolutely. I think that's what's, you know, it is really important. And actually, I was thinking about um, within our trust, we also, within our primary school trust, we have a, we have a curriculum and, um, and we were saying actually nothing's ever completely complete. Um, and like Tara just said, we want to make sure that it's always a program that is reflecting what's going on mm-hmm. in classrooms. Um, and obviously we've had two years worth of COVID. And so things have become like remote, we've had remote learning. Um, but actually our schools that were on the pilot, especially our first schools who were on the pilot, um, they were able to use, admittedly, not the now the version because that's through Oxford University Press, but the, the early version of the flip charts we were using for the pilot um, in the classrooms, they were able to use those during lockdown, for example. So that was a huge part of it that we could see how the program would adapt in those situations as well. Brilliant. Um, and I suppose, Tara, this is the question that um, I spoke about in my introduction and obviously you picked up on. So um, can you talk us through a little bit about the new DFE guidance on phonics and um, perhaps some of the misconceptions with it that have gone out on um, Twitter or your interpretation of it? That'd be really great. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. um, th- I think that some of the new guidance that people are talking about is, is the new reading framework that came out in yeah. AI. And that has kind of coincided with the DFE saying that from uh, March of 2022, they're going to kind of formally retire the original Letters and Sounds guidance, which was a guidance document created in 2007, where they were asking schools to start teaching phonics. Uh, The reason why they had looked at 
you know, um, rewriting the rewriting letters and sounds uh, and monetizing it as a program, but uh, the DFE, you know, they can't monetize something when it was a crown copyright document. So what they then said to uh, people who were who had developed programs or who had created things that they were using in their own school or who'd been working on things, they said, right, uh, in, we're going to open it up for, for, for three rounds of validation. So if you wanted to have your phonics program validated, which means that kind of rubber stamp approval from the DFE to say this is best practice and this is a full SSP, and if you follow this with fidelity, you should see the results that the SSP sort of says that they can deliver. So that caused a that has caused a lot of um, I don't want to say misinformation, but mm. people not understanding or being clear because pe- people get mixed messages about what what has to happen. So essentially, nothing has to happen unless you're funded by one of the English hubs, in which case you have to follow a validated program. Having said that, when I spoke to Ofsted inspectors as part of my job and I asked, what will you do if schools are still teaching, you know, the original letters and sounds guidance? And they, you know, one of them said, they did say, you know, that they would be interrogating that that school had actually developed it into a full program for themselves. Okay. That's kind of one, there's a lot, it's, there is, unless you're funded by a DFE English hub, do you have to follow a validated program? No, you don't. You, you can essentially do whatever you want. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it because you might mm-hmm. not get the results. And if you aren't getting the good, if you aren't getting above national average results, then they're, they're going to be really looking at why and how that, what's going on in the school as part of the reading deep dive. Um, so that's one side of this kind of confusion that's come out. And then it, as a su- uh, supplementary to that, they then re- released the reading framework, which is new guidance that's come out. And that's where lots of ideas um, or lots of things that we're saying was um, around uh, no games or things that mm. hinder children's learning, like you mentioned at the beginning. Um, so there's quite a lot of information in that around using your SSP that you've chosen because they, they are now kind of suggesting that that's what you want to do. You want to go and choose an SSP that's going to work for your school and work for your learners. And you've got a few to choose from now, and I'm sure that there are going to be more soon because there's a November validation window and another one in March. So you can go and choose your SSP and follow your SSP with fidelity. They talk quite a lot about that as part of the reading frame, but they, then they give be- give more guidance around how and why things that people have picked up and started using aren't necessarily very effective in actually delivering the phonic knowledge that children need. So you've kind of got two sides there, the retiring of the letters and sounds document Mm-hmm. And also this new reading framework. Um, lots of schools um, panicked, uh, thinking that they had to do something immediately. And I think that's where a lot of those kind of mixed messages, especially on social media, have come from. So just to clarify, so can can you teach phonics by using games or is that not something that is recommended anymore? It is not recommended that you use games to teach phonics no because they can be they can hinder the children's learning for example if you um are playing a turn-taking game or uh you're playing a what's in a bag game or you're Mm -hmm. playing like a a walk around the classroom and find a sound game Mm -hmm. what learning is taking place for the children in that moment so if you've got that attention for three or four minutes you might you might look at one or two uh words with the new sound or graphing that you've been teaching but if you 
didn't play the game and you just taught them, you could mm. deliver more knowledge to the children. It's also more likely that they're disengaged. Yeah. They're not concentrated on what you've been trying to teach them. They're not going to be able to apply it independently. They'll have been distracted by the activity or they might have learned, uh, you know, unlearned some learning behaviors because if I'm going on a sound walk around my classroom and I'm in year one, well, hey, mm. I've got six minutes where I don't have to do anything. Yeah. And so you just about, get a bit distracted. Yeah, exactly. I can see that. Mm-hmm. It's about thinking that we have a short period of time to do the most important job that we do in primary. Okay. Um, and that's teach children how to read. If we can't read, we can't access the curriculum. That's why this, this, is so, this is so similar to um, uh, things that have been said within sort of key stage three, key stage four curriculum as well, that get rid of all the faff, so to speak. Like you can still be an individualised, you know, maverick in the classroom, of course, but don't be afraid to be the teacher. Don't be afraid to stand up and and teach them. Yeah. Whereas um, I think when I was training to be a teacher, it was all about the gimmicky games. It was all about, you know, um, how do you engage them with a really engaging starter that has absolutely nothing to do with what you're going to be teaching um, for that for that lesson. So I absolutely understand the the theory behind it. So um, we've had a, a few live listeners sort of text in whilst whilst we were talking that. The first one we had was we were a school that used an early version. Oh, hang on, it's gone up. <laughs> um, okay, we were a school that used an early version during lockdown. Our children continued to make progress even through remote learning. And that's just absolutely wonderful to hear, isn't it? Absolutely. Oh my, yeah, definitely. And that's, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why um, it's worked. And that's why with the pilot, it was so great to see it working in the classrooms, but then also for remote learning and mm. um, for the children to come back, not really having gaps. Um, mm. Amazing. It, incredible. it just meant you could continue your curriculum, um, obviously consolidating in class. But I think that was the thing with the way we've got the, the whiteboard presentations, because the this, this children know what to expect it didn't feel like everything had to be explained again for remote learning. And I think that was a real plus um, to developing this also during this time. (laughs) So I've I've actually got a preschooler. um, My daughter is is at preschool age, and that's why it would be so great to hear from um, Alex Burnside later about some of her ideas. But um, I'm not not jealous because obviously the pandemic was an awful thing, but I would have quite liked to have had to had a go at teaching this at the time um if my daughter was in primary school doing phonics from home so i just think it would have it would have it would have upskilled me so much with knowing what's going on with her curriculum at that early stage i just think that would have been absolutely wonderful yeah (laughs) we had we we did a um, an event yesterday which was called meet the els teacher yes Uh, and one of our teachers well one of our questions was about how do we support our parents and carers and Mm -hmm. um, one of our one of the teachers on the call said um that using ELS during lockdown was a really good way of also showing the parents how we deliver and teach for yeah. already so tricky let's be honest because we need to get it right um and she said actually it gave them the knowledge and the understanding of what's going on but also how they can help at home and again you can you know you at home yes you could you can put phonics in your daily life if you wanted to if you know by you know by breaking words down into sounds for example but um but in school we want to make sure that when they're in school they're being taught phonics really well so that they yeah. can access the rest of curriculum going forwards and like as um tara said earlier around what we've done with our with els is we've tried to make it so simple but really effective that we are using that time really efficiently um and also around the whole thing around games that's sometimes what we've referred to as that faff and fluff because of 
actually you're coming to explain rules and expectations which aren't about the phonics yeah completely different and in the reading framework the one that tara mentioned it actually says poor classroom routines can also get in the way of learning especially when and the first bullet point is routines and activities change frequently and too much time is lost in explanations and that's what we're referring to Absolutely. Um, and it's the same as say, like, obviously, I'm secondary trained. That's exactly the same when you're um, planning or delivering curriculum at Key Stage 3 and Key Stage 4. Um, so we've had we've had some um, some live interaction as well. So we've got um, a listener called Miss A. Thank you so much. She said, I completely agree with Tara and Katie. I'm a phonics lead Key Stage 1 teacher who uses EL. S. I found that if you play games in phonics, you spend time explaining the rules, exactly what you just said, and the sounds that you're focusing on gets lost within unnecessary instructions and faff fluff, as Katie described it earlier. Instead, ELS lessons are focused only on the sound and overlearning that sound. My children don't play phonics games, but they still cheer when I get the ELS resources up at the start of the lesson. Excellent. And um, we've also gone, sorry, we've also sorry, had somebody it's so say, lovely, it's so lovely to hear. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the lessons themselves, you know, they are really simple to follow. They have high expectations, but teachers make it their own, um, mm. which has been great. And again, we heard from that yesterday. We heard teachers talking about how they've made it their own. They still completely deliver the lesson in the time frame without putting too many, like, too many fluffy, fluffy, fluffy language <laughs> into it. Sorry. Um, fluffy I know. Good word there. Um, and, actually it is about the teaching but they can move around the room because the children just know what's coming next so yeah. it's like you're having to just completely sit on the carpet looking at the board you can move around the room for things like the oral blending part of the lesson or if you're reviewing your sounds with the um, graphene flashcards you don't have to be stood near the board for example so I think that's where we've thought really carefully about the actual lesson structure itself Absolutely. We've had someone say, I agree, don't you games? Our children love their ELS phonics sessions. They're engaged and infused. Um, Tim has just texted in and said, some EY settings have reported that their phonics teaching is behind previous years as early learning behaviours, including attention, are lower since the pandemic. Have you seen the effects of this and have the resources and lessons helped with this issue? Thanks so much, Tim. What a fabulous question. That's Who's going to answer that one? <laughs> I think we'll both answer this one, actually. Go for um, it. Uh, so thank, thank you, Tim. That's a, that is a great question. Um, so Tara and I talk to lots of different schools, not just because of ELS, but because of what our roles are within out of ELS. So English Hub, for example. Um, yes, in early year settings, we're hearing lots of things because the children, bless them, have been uh, our informal education and they possibly haven't been for a full year of preschool or for yeah. or nursery. And so there, there will be children who haven't experienced that so there'll be all the things that we might maybe expect a bit more of by the time they arrive in school like social skills or um just generally being in a classroom setting um and following mm -hmm. certain rules that will be new and so lots of things like that are having to also be although they always do get taught in reception I've been a reception teacher they do get taught um again but you're probably having to do it even more and so naturally things are going to possibly take a little bit longer but um and lots of children will find that with, with phonics, and I found this having been a reception teacher, that certain things will click at certain points. And that might be a bit later for some children. And that's understandable because of COVID. But um, I'm going to pass over to Tara here because I know she's spoken to quite a few schools recently around who the schools that have been using ELS since the start of term um, who have said that it's having a really positive impact, which has been so great to hear. And I've seen it also with, um, within some of the schools I've been talking to, but also our, some of our schools and the trusts that follow it. Yeah, Thank you. I think um, 
like Katie said, you know, we are in, I hate to say unprecedented times, but we really are uh, in education, especially, you know, some of those learning behaviors, even our year one and year two children aren't, they've spent half of their education at home. So even some of those things are missing for those children as well. Um, but I think the, the kind of one of the fundamentals of the program, that consistency and that repetition is so key for those children, especially now who are starting in reception. And we know that we have to make that strong start in reception. You know, that's one of our Ofsted criteria is that we're making that strong start. We're going to start teaching phonics in the first weeks of school. So that first week one, week two of school, you need to start teaching phonics. The simplicity of the lesson structure for ELS, for an example, provides the perfect opportunity for children to learn those behaviours because the structure is repetitive in the lesson format. The activity that they complete in terms of um, applying those skills independently is repetitive. So they've got that automatic process that they're going through in those first three weeks as we're getting to learn our children and, you know, for our teachers, the programme's been written so that they know where every single child is but it's also giving those children that same diet every day of, right, this is what it looks like when we're learning. This is what it feels like when we're learning. This is what good learning feels like, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're teaching it through our phonics program as well. Um, and we're hearing from our, you know, from the schools that I've been speaking to, they've said, yes, you know, that perhaps those, those behaviors for learning haven't been on par with where they've been in previous years, but the children's learning, their phonic knowledge is ahead of where they've been previously having now, you know, moved to essential letters and sounds. Um, one in reception uh, reading lead told me the other day that this is the first year where she's ever had no gaps, she's got no wow. gaps at half term and her children can read. Oh. Um, we on this um, meet the teacher session that we had last night, one of a uh, deputy head from a school that's local to where we're based in, in, in West London, uh, really, really um, came, generously came and joined us and gave her perspective, having just embedded it this year. And she said, you know, that the behavior for learning in the reception classrooms, it was taking a bit longer for them this year because the children had had you no know, really different, different and difficult time before joining school. But again, she said, you know, that 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 reading was happening a lot faster than it's ever happened before. Mm. So. I think that, um, and I can see on the chat that some that I can see um, that some of the teachers that have already been posting have said, you know, that yeah, that that consistency and that concentration and the fact that it is focused on what we're teaching them and we're giving them the knowledge, yeah, and showing them how to use it, we're getting them to apply it independently. That's what learning is, you know. Yeah. It's that movement from me as the more knowledgeable other to you being able to do this yourself. We're giving them that skill every day. So we're showing them what learning looks like every day in their phonics lessons. They get mm-hmm. to experience that success. And that's a big part, I think, of building that that part of that learning behavior, that love for learning that's so key that we want to get, you know, um, in our children at the beginnings of reception. And and children, well, in my, my opinion, when, I, when I've sort of been around the students that I'm involved in, they love routine. They absolutely love consistency. They thrive from it because they know what's coming. They feel safe. And then they, they learn a lot better because they're more confident with their answers. So I completely agree. It's yeah. that success model, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. Children know how, how they're going to be successful. They feel successful because of it. And like terms mm-hmm. of success model. And um, we've definitely within ELS there's a lot of opportunity for the children to hear say and see that sound many many times and the sounds they've already sound graphics they've already been taught and so there's lots of repetition in the program because we know that over learning is also really important um 
and we also know that learning like Tara was saying um, is that passing of knowledge but it's also the change in long-term memory so um, when something learning is that moment where it goes from being in your like short-term memory or learning something new to then sticking and being in your long-term memory and so then you can use it so that's why we have so many opportunities for repetition and over learning to help the children feel really confident with it amazing thank you so much there's some absolutely fantastic answers there um we do actually have a, a live caller so i mean this ever so exciting um are you all right if we if we go to the live caller and see and see what they they've got to say katie and tara absolutely okay um hello can you hear me hello hi it's alex oh it's alex oh i'm so sorry it's because you're don't you worry. It's because your name's not on there. Um, so I got a bit confused, but that is absolutely fine. You are not ahead of the game. You sit tight. I'm going to put you on mute and then I'll bring you into the conversation in a bit. Thank awesome. you so much. Okay. Don't, don't worry. Don't hang up. There you go. Um, so it's, it's always a good feeling when your second guest is uh, really prepared like us to, to get on the line as well. Um, so one of the questions that I wanted to ask, because obviously I was talking up through this earlier in my introduction was the question about secondary school teachers and whether you think that there should be more accessible CPD for them um, where they're learning a little bit more about early reading and phonics. What's what's your opinion on that? If we start with Katie, then perhaps Tara, you could answer as well. Um, yeah, I think it's a great question. And I, I, I saw it was on Twitter from yourself, the uh, I think it was maybe at the weekend. It was um, it was a brilliant thread as well. Um, so it's interesting. We actually have a secondary school within our trust, and um, we do link up with them. We don't link up with them on absolutely everything because obviously we're busy, um, as yeah. I say. Um, but we all follow a knowledge rich curriculum for a start. So that's one thing we all have in common. And um, mm. I speak to the English lead. Um, I have spoken to the English lead not so much recently, but um, but there was definitely at one point I was talking to a member of staff at that second who was saying they wish they knew a bit more about phonics actually so that particularly that they could use it to support children who might not need it for reading um, necessarily, although that is what phonics is, but knowing the knowledge of the sounds and the graphemes so that they could then help them if they are ever stuck, but also for things like spelling and that encoding practice. So um, I think some secondary schools teachers are definitely, you know, I think we are, are really interested in it. And actually our curriculum director at the Norwich Schools Trust, um, primary schools, um, she and I, her and I, sorry, we talked about it. Um, and we said that actually maybe this is something we could look into doing, mm. um, doing some CPD for the secondary school teachers and then seeing where it goes from there. And um and I think it would be something some secondary school teachers would be really interested in. And I think, like uh, like there's somebody said on the thread, that it's not something they would be able to use so much. So it would be about thinking about how you can make that link from one phase or one like primary school phase through to secondary. But it's a question yeah. we get asked quite a lot also with Key Stage 2. And we we have made that link. And also, as English for the um, primary schools and the trust, um, I recently did an ins I did a CPD session on it and I tried to make links where I could so that it was also applicable for Key Stage 2 and they could see how it was useful and helpful. So I think it is something that would be beneficial in the long run, but I don't know how many schools would take it up. Yeah, I just I just don't think it would ever do any harm, if I'm honest, because that's that's the beginning of reading, isn't it? That's that's where it all started. But it has to like we had on the Twitter feed, um, yes, I absolutely understand the capacity and it has to be really relevant. To, to the staff like it can't just be a cpd on phonics for the sake of cpd on phonics like it, there has to be a real good point to it so it really aids the the teachers at a secondary school so that they can understand why why they 
they're upskilling with it perhaps yeah absolutely and I think that's the other thing because obviously and you know yourself teaching is, is an incredibly busy profession and mm. I know we all talk about making sure we have meetings for you know making sure it's purposeful um and obviously we wouldn't want to put a CPT session that that's not something they could use if that makes sense so yeah I think yeah it's important that if there is something like that it's meaningful it can be used but also it gives the basics because that's important too knowing what phonics is and what um what that looks like for children when they're first learning to read um it's quite a lot of theory that goes into it beforehand absolutely i can imagine um what about you tara i think yeah you know like kate said it's it, it it's important that any cpd that you participate in is purposeful and has is going to have meaning and impact your absolutely as an educator um I also think that there's no harm in every person learning how children learn how to read because you're always going to find that child in your classroom who, you know, maybe doesn't have, who isn't an age-related expectation for reading in secondary as well as you'll have them in primary. You know, you're Mm -hmm. going to have children that are still struggling to acquire that knowledge. And it's about being able to meet them where they're at. And if you had a solid understanding of where where they've come from and the journey that they're having to go on to learn how to read, and quite how blooming complicated that is. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think I I did some training today to a group of reading leads. And uh, for my my normal kind of, my normal capacity uh, for the English Hub, and even for some of them, when I talked about how opaque our language is to learn, uh, you know, comparing it to other lang- other languages, uh, European languages and, you know, languages around the world and quite how difficult English is. Um, I think it was eye opening for them and they're teaching it every day. So, you know, I think um, a wider and a broader understanding of even just the complexity of learning how to read would be no no bad thing because, you know, wouldn't stand up and teach a geography lesson with no geographical knowledge or no background information uh, and mm. expect everybody and, and be able to confidently talk about it because um, geography is my weak area of subject knowledge so that's the one I always had to research the most strongly when I was teaching so that background knowledge is really important as a teacher and yeah. having that information and even understanding how those first building blocks of comprehension begin to happen um kind of take for granted as you move up even in key stage two that children can just understand what they're reading but when you kind of in you interrogate what that actually is as well at the beginning stages it's so complicated yeah and any anything's got to help with those disadvantaged students at a secondary school and that's that's the point isn't it is you know not everybody's got somebody at home that is reading to them from the age of three before bed so their their schemata their language their vocabulary isn't the same as what perhaps they had growing up so anything's got to help with that so um, I think I agree I think yes there's some barriers and it's not 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 the sake of just delivering a phonics CPD because we think there's a gap but actually to really find find a way on on how to reach the secondary school teachers where it becomes a really valid part of their curriculum as well but yeah no I, I we could talk hours I, I'm loving this this chat this evening um thank you I think we've come to the end for now but thank you so so much Katie and Tara for coming on again um feel like you're my besties now because you've been on the show <laughs> <twice>. <laughs> um and you never know there might be another one on the horizon so um as always I've, I always have lots of questions and um I never get to answer them all because obviously we always end up having such a good conversation about phonics um I did we did just get a text in from um, a listener who was saying I was key stage two key stage three trained and definitely think that phonics should have been given more focus on my training so 
there there is there is a big subject out there to be unpicked and if you need any help with that i can uh, i can be your secondary ear if that's something what you're going to be uh, developing in the future katie and tara so <laughs> thank, you. thank you well thank, well, thank you. you so much thank, thank you. you thank you for having us, us. Thank oh, no, no problem. My absolute pleasure. Have a wonderful uh, run up to Christmas as well. Thank you. You too. You too. Take care. Okay, lovely. Thank bye you. Bye bye. Bye. What a, what a great phonics chat. And um, Tara and Katie, they really do bounce off each other. They're so easy to talk to. They, they make a, a show very easy for me as the host. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to go to an advert. And after the advert, we have got Alex on the line. Absolutely love um, her organisation. I said, can you call in at 8.50? And she absolutely did. Um, because I start panicking otherwise if they're not lined up for me. And I'm going to introduce who Alex is and we're going to continue this wonderful conversation about phonics. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Deanna Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people-pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the MAL CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses? All MAL CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Fantastic. Great to hear from our sponsors as usual. So on the line, we have got Alex Burnside. Now, um, this is Phonics with Robot Reg. Um, and the, Alex is a co-founder, and um, she's going to tell us all about it in a second, with her sister. And they set up a programme um, which is equipping preschoolers with the phonics skills to open up a world of literacy to them. Um, obviously, this this really caught my attention um, when I was planning the show as well, because obviously, as I've mentioned, I've got a preschooler. Um, and for me, it's just a wonderful a wonderful transition not transition but wonderful um to know how it how it can start in a preschool or what that could look like in a preschool um perhaps some books and some ideas around what we could do at home to help with that but then also how that then um goes into that key stage one with the essential letters and sound programs like we've just heard so for me it's just a natural thing to understand you know the beginning the middle and the end and so that's that's why i was very keen to get alex on the show so good evening alex nice to hear from you 
Hello. Thank you for having me on. That's all right. Thank you so much for coming on. Sorry about earlier. Oh, that's okay. I was a bit overexcited. Oh, no, no, you're not. You're you're absolutely the same as me. Um, Your name popped up earlier as your name. And then obviously, when you called in, your name disappeared. So I I did think we had a live caller as well. But even better that it's you. Um, So just for the listeners who are listening live at the moment, or for anybody that's going to be downloading and listening later, can you just introduce yourself um, and a bit about your background, um, what, what you did and where you're at now? Yep, so um, I'm Alex. I was a primary school teacher for 15 years. Um, I taught in Key Stage 2 and then I taught in EYFS and um, I was literacy lead and a leading um, literacy teacher when I was teaching. And then, like many do, I went and had my children and found that I couldn't quite juggle a full-time teaching job and two children. So then I... um, founded phonics with robot reg which is a preschool phonics classes for well preschoolers Mm -hmm. um so when i was a teacher um in the very first term when the children were coming in i found that sometimes well more often than not they were struggling with the pre-phonics um skills so i was um, having to teach them the pre-phonics skills before they were learning um the theophonics expectations and just yeah. just for those that are listening a bit like me i suppose what are the pre-phonics skills so um these are the skills that we cover in our class so they're basically we want the children to be able to discriminate between sounds mm-hmm. so for example they might be able to discriminate between a um, a bird tweeting compared with a dog barking okay so being able to do that obviously sounds super easy to you and me because we're grown-ups but um, for them it's more tricky so getting um, those skills in place and knowing the difference between say a shaker and a tambourine or a triangle um, if they could discriminate between those then they're likely to be able to discriminate between different letters and that will help them on their phonics journey as they start school and start reading Okay, got ya. Um, so where, where's your passion for phonics come from? I don't know. I always just really enjoy teaching it <laughs> and, you know, love reading myself and just giving children. I think it's um, a really lovely thing to be able to teach a child to read because, you know, the steps that they make when they start school and literally they cannot read, don't really know any letters, and then all of a sudden they're reading and you see the joy that it brings to mm. them being able to read stories that, like their mums have read or their dads or whoever have read to them so yeah I think that's a really rewarding um part of a teacher's job and that's one that I really enjoyed and now doing it with preschoolers um yeah it's really lovely too yeah I can imagine yeah what's different with the preschoolers is because we have the parents bring them to the classes um it's a real eye-opener for the parents and you see that light bulb moment when they're like I get what phonics is now. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, often, you know, they they don't have an educational background. They're not teachers. Um, so they're not really sure, perhaps, what phonics means. And then they come to a few of our classes and it really is a light bulb moment. And then they can have some of the skills um, to help their children as they move, move on to school um, with their reading. Whereas perhaps if they hadn't been to our classes, they wouldn't have known them so, so soon. So can you talk to me a little bit about Robot Reg? (laughs) So Robot Reg is our mascot and he um, speaks in a robot voice. So we use him to do lots of oral blending and segmenting, which is, again, one of the early phonics skills. So before they actually read 
um, the sounds, for example, cat, cat, um, they would need to orally blend it. So without seeing the, the actual letter sound. So we do lots of that in our classes. Um, and he's this lovable character that they love, you know, you know how preschoolers love a character. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think I like a character too, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So he, uh, he brings the classes to life. And so I think it's I think it's amazing that so that the type of sessions that you offer, obviously, the ones where they bring their, their parent or their carer with them. So you're you're delivering it to, to the family. Yeah. So um, they're like parent, uh, you know, uh, classes like toddler activity classes. Mm. But we do also do them within nursery settings as well. And obviously they're without the parents. So we do both. So what, um, so I, I don't know if you already answered this, I suppose, but um, why did you focus on the preschoolers instead of perhaps um, key stage one? Well, I felt like I didn't want to step on teachers' toes because, mm. you know, they, you know, children get a, a wonderful, rich, generally phonics um, teaching at school. There is lots of things for um, teachers, but I felt for the preschool market, um, knowing that the what I knew about the children coming into reception and how helpful it would be if they did have the pre-phonic skills, um, then they could hit the ground running when they got in and start, you know, putting those sounds together into read words really quickly and putting them together for spellings rather than having to go over the groundwork that perhaps they'd missed or hadn't really grasped. Um. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ask because we've obviously I think we still got Katie and Tara on the line. Um, what would be really interesting for me is with their their program, do do they do background research on preschool preschoolers before obviously creating their program? I'm just gonna see if they're still there because I just think that's really interesting. <laughs> um, Katie, you responded first, so um, do so did you? But when you made up not made up when you um, started to think about putting together your program. Um, did you do background research that involved preschoolers? Was that part of it or is, is that something completely different? Uh, no, absolutely. And hi, thank you so much for letting uh, me come back in. Um, and Alex, it's, it's so good what you're doing yeah. is, as well. Um, so thank you. But yeah, so this, uh, so in the original Lesson Sounds guidance, um, there was something called phase one, which is um, a lot of what we're discussing now. So all those things that the children need before they start to learn those individual sounds and graphemes to build and, and make words uh, and to read words. And so um, oral blending, um, uh, as you were saying, is such an important part of it. And I think we said this actually on the last time we were on the, on the radio show um, about how we have this in every single one of our lessons as well, because we know how important that skill is. And we want children to still continue to develop it and to hear um, different word structures and different sounds and different words and we wanted that to be a real part of the program and children are constantly reviewing it so it's so great to hear that this is something that hopefully um, preschool children are also having um, because then it means that when they come to primary school reception it might be something that feels more natural and that um, and it gives them that really strong start which is wonderful and then other things that we you know we want to make sure children are doing is hearing lots of stories being read aloud and we want children to feel they can really enjoy listening to that story get to know the characters get to use different voices and actions to really bring that story to life and to make it um exciting and i think everything that's been said so far i think is a really great way to first initially start that journey in, in reading so we also um use lots of nursery rhymes in our in our um, sessions as well because you know the repetition we found that lots of children and parents perhaps don't know nursery rhymes like they used to um so yeah we we introduce and use lots of those too 
yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's yeah. brilliant. Yeah, go Tara. <laughs> I mean, I've got a two. Uh, my daughter's going to be three uh, in a couple of weeks' time, and that's been for you know, for me with her. Um, she's she can blend a few very simple CVC words, but she is ready to learn that because. She's had, like you say, the nursery rhymes. She's learnt stories by heart. You know, she turns the page and she can read me verbatim, you know, tell me the story yeah. verbatim that she's got in her hand because we do a lot of that because I know how important that is. Um, but that's how I was raised as well. Uh, my mum said I just taught myself how to read because I was just <laughs> read to all the time. And she said she went, she sent me to school. She had absolutely no idea if I was able to read. And then the teacher said, oh, she can read. And mum was like, oh, great. <laughs> so... You know, um, it's such an important skill that you're giving those parents yeah. as well as the children yeah. that you're then giving them this access. And for the teachers, oh, my God, you're making our lives so much easier. Yeah. <laughs> and I think um, Alex, because obviously my daughter's at preschool now, and I was I was just sat having dinner with her about a week ago, and she just read on the back of the birthday card. And, you know, you just take a second glance. I was like, what? You can read now? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> like, sorry, are you an evil genius? No. Um, but I was... I was massively shocked, but that is absolutely because of preschool. That's, you know, I'm, I mean, obviously I read to her and, and she's, and that's, she's absorbing that, but because of the, the, the repetition of the nursery rhymes, because of the stories, and they, I know they do a story um, at the end of their session every, every time she goes and it's got puppets and it's interactive and there must be something in that that, is clearly working because yeah. she can read. No, she can't. I then opened up a massive book and said, right, read me that. She but <laughs> she could definitely pick out certain words. So, um, And also yeah. having the interest in mm. looking at letters. You know, that's another thing in our classes that we want them to be interested, spotting um, sounds, hearing um, nursery rhymes. And that is part of it when they're so little that they, they're really enthused by it. Absolutely. So, Alex, I was going to ask, so what, what kind, Kate in time, I was going to put you on mute because otherwise the background noise can go a bit funny. Um, but I, I might bring you back in if that's all right. <laughs> um, go on. No, just saying, of course, thank you. Oh, okay, that's fine. At one point, though, um, I was a little bit like, I think I'll just go and get a cup of tea because you three can just uh, just talk to each other. It was great. Um, so, um, Alex, um, one, one thing I wanted to ask as well is what kind of sessions do you actually, um, what does that look like um, within your sort of Robot Reg um, programme? What does that what does that look like? So as the girls were saying before, it's all about routine and every session has um, a similar routine because mm -hmm. children just thrive off familiarity. So we have, you know, a classic welcome song and we introduce um, some sounds with games we also do some activities to improve their gross motor skills in anticipation yeah. for handwriting um and also because they are you know what like preschoolers are like the activities are really short so we do break them up and then we get them doing a bit of movement and then we do some more um activities around blending and segmenting and then meet robot reg um and we do some fine motor skills work um yeah so that's sort of the the vague structure so um, were you listening in on the show earlier when we were talking about the new sort of DFE guidance around games? Yeah. So does that, does that apply? I don't, it doesn't apply for a preschool, does it? Well, we're just independent. So, I mean, you know, we're not affiliated to the government or anything. But, um, but I think we I do think lots of games, but there but are, it's preschool, but, isn't it? It's got to be yeah, it's preschool, yeah, three and four. It's different. Surely games are age related. Yeah, absolutely, different. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, 
and and you've got you've got two year olds and you've got three year olds in that room. So my my daughter goes to a preschool and obviously that there's two year olds in there too because it's obviously mixed. Yeah. So 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 I really wouldn't worry about that at all. But it'd be really interesting to talk to Katie and Tara about that too. But obviously I'm gonna ask you some more questions and yeah. then we'll we'll, we'll yeah, come so back we, to that. We do in, include lots of games and yeah. you know because it's a fun session. It, they're not going to school, um, so it, exactly it, it, it is different from school. And they there also you go. don't. Um, they don't really know how much they're learning because they're having so much fun. Do you know what I mean? So, because they are tiny and that's kind of our ethos that they're having yeah. fun and they're learning along the way. And, you know, there's a lot of time when they're a little bit older to do phonics without games. When well, this, this is this is what Tara has to say. She said, I think pre-formal teaching of GPCs, those games are engaging their love and fascination in reading. And Katie says, absolutely, games of that age are fab. So yeah. do do not completely carry on with what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and that was my initial thing is that uh, crikey, we can't we can't play games all, ever. all the joy out of life, can we? Um even though obviously um when you when you start school it's not unjoyful it's just very different the way that you can teach for certain things um so do you have any suggestions um you know any we've got any parents out there or anybody who's really interested in this anyway um for any of the listeners of books or games that we can do from home okay um I really like rhyming books Um, yeah do you know like um Julia Donaldson the Julia Donaldson one the the one with the most chocolate mousse for greedy goose and sort of leaving once the child is quite familiar with it leaving out the um like rhyming string so that they can add the rhyming word in if that makes sense absolutely the missing words um I think all those are great I absolutely love um alphabet books as well because no matter what your child is into like there is an alphabet book related to it I had a brilliant (laughs) one for my son and it was um ABC of construction Mm -hmm. so it it really grasped his um interest but then we could look at sounds and look at um introduce letters in that way um so yeah obviously stories are fantastic but I think those two um alphabet books you can't can't get enough of them for me no Um, and rhyming books Um, and um and what about some games some some um so in terms of this isn't really a game but if you wanted to introduce blending into your everyday routine um just so that your preschooler can like get used to the concept just um for example you can like put on your sh ooh or play games like can you touch your head yeah that that kind of thing so just to make it a bit of fun but they have to put the um the sounds together I love magnetic letters I think they're a really good resource if your child is ready um to look at letters so sorting them out uh, you know just like can you find all the s ones or going on a sound hunt around your house can you find things beginning with s and put them in a little bag or things like that and what, there, are there any sorry are there are there any um sounds that preschoolers commonly mix up that you're aware of Oh, well, I always B and D, but I don't know if that's more like reception, like when they're writing it. Mm. Um, because when they are little, sometimes they say the sound incorrectly, but that's age appropriate, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So bombarding them with sound. So if your child does have a, um, a, a sound that they find tricky to say, rather than getting them to say it all the time, you actually saying it. So having, say, if they couldn't say the G sound, you could have a G sharp and you could ask them pass me the gorilla pass me the great so that they are been bombarded by hearing that sound over and over but without having to say it themselves so much. absolutely 
Um, yeah. And I, I don't, were you listening earlier as well when we were talking about, because obviously you were a primary school teacher for, for yeah. a while. Do you think that there is a bit of a gap between primary and secondary school in terms of early reading and phonics knowledge? I would think definitely. Um, one of my friends who I went to um, university with went on to become a secondary school teacher and mm-hmm. seems to not really know, you know, that much about phonics. But if you have a child who is really struggling, then to know though that underpins how they first started to read, I think it's vital. Absolutely. Knowing where they come from, like primary school teachers sort of need to know what they're going to. They need to know what they've come from. But I suppose by the time they're in year seven, year one, year two was quite a long time ago. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. Um, Katie just said oral blending throughout the day in everyday context is such a great activity to do. Yeah. And you can just do it for like, you know, one minute, two minutes, and then they've, they've had that experience and doing that daily. It's brilliant. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I think as you say, it must, it must be so lovely for you, especially when you're delivering some of your sessions, to physically see the joy in their eyes um, and to get the buy-in from the, the parent or carer that's coming as well. I think that's, that's a really good, good, good thing to be involved in. Yeah, and we've had a lot of feedback from... Um, when parents go, their children start school, they come back and say like, oh, you know, they're really flying with their phonics now they've started school. It's given them a really good head start. So that's always nice to um, nice to hear and nice to know that it is having an impact as they go into school. Absolutely. Um, um, I'm just going to bring Katie and Tara back in. So I've just got a question that sort of builds on from one of the things that you've been talking about, Alex. Um, so I don't know if, if Katie or Tara wants to answer this or both of you. Um, do you see a big difference between um, children that go to preschool and children that don't go to preschool when they come to reception? Uh, can you? Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> the ch- children that have been to preschool or nursery or sort of like a formal ed- setting, mm. even and um, childminders, you can often tell just because they have some of those behaviors for being in a group of other children Um, yeah things like they they're used to following routines they're used to leaving their parents and going and spending a day somewhere you know they understand that there are rules that they're going to need to follow and that you know it's not just them that everybody else needs to follow those rules as well um dependent on the kind of preschool or nursery setting that they've been in you know they might have been taught something they might already have practiced what learning looks like and feels like so they might already know that as well um and they oft i mean they might feel more confident as well when they start school um i mean both of my children have been at ner- in like a proper nursery full time because mm. i am a, you know i do work full time um since they were a year old and i think for my son starting school he he found it easier because he just knew what he was going to be expected to do mm. that this was the person that was in charge that, that you know as for a teacher that some you know some children won't even if they've not been in a setting like that before you know they might not even understand that kind of formality if you're the person that gets to dictate what happens you know what I mean yeah I don't know if you want to say anything Katie yeah I think exactly that and I think we we touched on you know that earlier on around what's happened for our children who are in reception at the moment um but I think for those children I think one thing nearly all reception teachers and then uh, primary school teachers find is um one of the most important things that 
parents can be doing, even if their child's not in um, in a in a nursery or preschool setting, is exposing children to language through talk. So talking to our children and also um, what, reading aloud. Reading yeah. aloud is such an important part of a child's early learning experience. And so the more parents and carers can do that, the more their child will just um, inexplicitly learn and find out and explore and get to know. And so I, those sort of things, we, we can always tell when a child has maybe heard more stories or has been yeah. read to and has been in a place where there's been lots of talk and communication and language and what that talk has been like. Um, and so the parents talking, to, actually talking to their child um, and also having that interaction, that conversation, and modeling how to use words in a full sentence, for example, um, those sort of things, you know, we can tell that's from that side of things as well. So um, it's great to hear that there are things out there that parents can be supportive with in helping them to know what that kind of thing can look like. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Alex, just a question question for you. Do you, what, what kind of barriers do you see when, when delivering your session to preschool or common barriers? What, what kind of things do you come up against that, um, are difficult when teaching it, for example? Um, not really sure, to be honest. Maybe the parent-child engagement. Like, yeah. As in, the parent thinks maybe they've got 45 minutes off, which is fine because, you know, they've brought their child to a class. That, that's absolutely fine. But, you know, engage the more they engage with the child, that's this is what mm-hmm. we would say at the start of the class, the more your child will get out of it. Absolutely. So we tr- encourage them to sit on the floor with their child and put, put their phone away. Obviously, we like them to snap pictures if they want to, but, you know, not be texting, but be engaging with their child and supporting their learning for that four to five minutes. And that's a lot of parents say that that is a special time when, you know, if they've got siblings, it's just a time with that child. But I guess that potentially is a barrier. And do... Yeah, and I think well, I think you've just highlighted as well. Like, if they're if you've got, I don't know, whether this is completely accurate or not. But if you've got a, a parent or carer that's not completely engaged with the session, then maybe you've got you've got some disadvantaged students already there in the making. I don't, I don't. Obviously, I'm just sort of yeah, talking. Yeah. There's no evidence there or anything. But um, and then obviously that that theme runs throughout primary and then all the way into secondary, doesn't it? Yeah. And just just get talking about you. Do you co you co-found obviously your business with your sister? Yeah. And when I was reading through um, your website, for example, you were talking about the fact that it just works really well with your flexible working hours because you've you've got children. So do you find that um, your you feel so much better about their phonics and their early reading because obviously you've you've you sort of got yourself really engaged with this program? Our own children's. Um, well, yeah, I mean, Charlie's son's just started school and he's like a fluent reader. So I think it's Brilliant. Uh, that's sort of a byproduct. Um, my children were a tiny bit older when I launched. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, they went into school with, um, you know, good phonic knowledge. Yeah, I bet they did. <laughs> <laughs> just going, I can just imagine you going into room to room doing all your phonics with them. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd just I'd just put you on the spot here, I suppose. Do you have any questions for Katie and Tara before sort of we end the show? Um, off the top of my head, I, w- I was no. interested to know about the, the the lack of games, but I suppose that's been covered already. But just thinking how tiny four year olds are, yeah, they're not playing the games. 
because I they they're not supposed to be doing anything with annexes. I don't know if I got the wrong end of the the stick with that, but maybe they could highlight that. I know, of course. So we were talking about earlier um, that the new DFE guidance, for example, um, suggests um, that obviously. If you if you use games, they could become a lot more distracted. So not within um, the um, discrete phonics lesson, but for example, like if if you had the sand tray out, can you put some, like sounds in there, or is that complete a complete no no? Hi, there you go. Yeah, sorry. Hello. Hello. Um, <laughs> no, that's all right. I think that's it's such a, a great uh, discussion point. Yeah, it is, and I think that's what's um, definitely come out of the new reading framework. So. A, um, you've just said exactly that. So in the discrete phonics sessions, we want to be using that time really effectively. So that's why we don't have games in it because it just take away from the yeah, actual. Because it isn't very long, is it? Exactly. And so we and so we do make them engaging. Teachers can make it their own, but we just don't have different games every single day. But um, <coughs> phonics is one of those things where it is so so complex, and actually, um, it does need to be with an adult. We can't leave our children to do it on their no. own. Because that's when misconceptions can come up. And actually, um, there's been lots of discussion around some of the things you um, you were just saying around um, things like sound trace, for example. And actually, in the um, DFE framework, sorry, in the framework published by DFE, it said um, examples of activities that can hinder learning. And in its first paragraph, it says activities such as painting, coloring, modeling, playing in the sand and water tray are valuable for developing language, knowledge, culture, play, play, fine motor skills, imagination and creativity creativity using them as vehicles for practicing phonics not only takes away the integrity of the activities but does not provide sufficient practice in word reading for example when fishing for words in a water tray or painting or making models of letters yeah i knew i'd read that <laughs> it does kind of make sense it does and i think yeah. i think that's the thing sorry tara go for it <laughs> i just oh, it, it does make sense and you know our phonics sessions in, in any kind of SSP, you know, at the beginning of reception, they're going to be short because children don't have the attention span and they haven't got much code either. But we've got up to an hour where we can be directing our focus across the day and making sure that we are targeting our children so that they're gaining that new knowledge and that we're giving it to them. Um, and I, I guess that a lot of what's in this new framework is is there to kind of strip away those extraneous activities that aren't delivering knowledge to children, not giving them the information. You know, I said it before, Katie and I will say it again, it's such a complex skill learning how to read, but one that, you know, even as adults, we're still decoding. So there's a reason why we teach children to do it. And it's a, it's a complicated skill. You know, you can read, you've got more fluency for reading than you have for listening. So that's why when you go on a training session and it always seems to happen to me that I get asked a question at just the moment <laughs> I stop listening um, because I've reached my cognitive overload. But reading is that skill that is, is a lifelong skill, but it's a skill that we are incredibly competent at doing for really long periods of time when we can do it well. Um, yeah. But to do it well, we've got to teach it really, really well at the beginning because we are asking our children to achieve an awful lot. Just if you look at the key stage one criteria for meeting the expected mm. standard, what you are asking children to do when you think that they might come into school never having known that the oral version of sound matches a written version of that sound. You're giving them that knowledge potentially for the first time. What they have to be able to do two years later is almost inconceivable when you think that this is not a skill that we acquire naturally. Um, it's not something that would happen if we lived on a desert island. It, you have to be taught the yeah. skill. And so yeah. I think the reading framework is kind of, it's, it's good for empowering our teachers to say, 
actually, I need to focus on this or I need to get rid of that. That's not going to help the child to in turn that knowledge that I'm trying to give them. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, just interestingly, I, um, I'm about to give a statistic, which is slightly out of date now, but it's quite a, it's one of the more recent ones. Um, and actually, it's one of the one of the reasons why like things like English Hubs were developed, because we know that it was a 2014 quote was that one in four primary school children were still leaving re- um, primary school unable to read well. Now, that's not wow. Really, that's not good. Two enough. in five mm. of our disadvantaged children were leaving primary school unable to read well. Yeah, um, that's scary. And we have like, and Tara and I say all the time, we have our children for quite a number of years and we've still got children not able to, to read well when they leave primary school. And it's it's heartbreaking. And um, I think that's one of the reasons definitely why the hubs were um, developed. That's why the reading framework's there. But that's also one of the reasons why we need to use the phonics time so effectively and make sure we get it right from the very beginning. And sometimes things like games don't don't help. <laughs> But obviously, as we were just discussing earlier with Alex in preschool, that they, they're absolutely yeah, fine. Yeah. In the <laughs> teaching of GPCs, when you're yeah. teaching children the alphabetic code knowledge that they need to be able to decode and read, using a game there in that classroom setting yeah. isn't going to be an effective use of your time. Yeah, exactly. Using, a, using games to engage children before they join school and give them that mm. immediate love of reading, which is what we spend the next seven years in primary school trying to give back to them giving them that love of stories and that language and that exposure and in you know the enjoyment i play games with my daughter you know she can she can she can blend rather complicated let's get our daughters together (laughs) (laughs) but she can blend if i give her if i if i give her some sounds to blend together to say the whole word yeah she's really good at oral blending because we've made it a game yeah she thinks it's a game to play the oral blending game yeah and i know tara's put that into context so i was with tara and her daughter in the summer and um tara asked her to well sarah sounded out the word ice cream and she she said it <laughs> so i think just putting it into yeah definitely playing games and making it something really engaging in those years is so important well ice cream is a very important word I for know, a three-year-old in the summer so. part of her vocabulary i assure you <laughs> okay um i'm gonna i'm gonna have to round it up now because we've actually come to the end of the show um i just want to say to alex thank you so much for coming on and talking because i i don't have a lot of knowledge around sort of preschool phonics and for me just listening to what you're doing with preschoolers and and your program I, I just think it's absolutely wonderful and I think oh, it absolutely you. it absolutely aids what obviously the primary school teachers are are doing and then what we're doing at secondary as well so thank you so much for coming on and and you know answering my on the spot questions as well thank but you. thanks for I think me. I think it worked brilliantly and I think you you dealt with it absolutely fantastically so thank you very much thank you so g- good evening Alex thank you thank you bye um yeah, lovely. And then obviously to, to Katie and to Tara, thank you both so much for coming on. And I've kept you for an hour and a half. So <laughs> you you can you can leave um, and have a lovely rest of your evening. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, thank you. And thanks for clearing up. I think the online at the moment, it's definitely there's a huge amount around games and what that means. And I, I think you both just really it made it very clear um you know the reasons why behind it the impact and what that looks like within the classroom as well and I think that's really important for teachers so thank you so much for clearing that up well thank you for giving us the the time to talk about it (laughs) absolutely well have a wonderful week thank Thank you you. (laughs) bye-bye bye um and, and for all the live listeners as well thank you so much for listening um obviously it's the end of the show um I mean I've learned so much about phonics whilst preparing for these shows and obviously hosting the shows as well and I I am hugely 
interested in it as well and I think it's it's been absolutely brilliant talking to Tara to Katie and obviously to Alex as well um so next week I'm going to be back on my show at eight o'clock and I've got the magnificent Tom Sherrington so if you're a teacher out there and you want to ask him a question live because when do you get an opportunity to sit live with Tom for an hour and a half discussing all things teaching please 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 um come and join into that show as well that'd be absolutely fantastic so thank you so much for listening and have a fantastic week. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.